Welcome to Education New Frontiers, a podcast about transformations in the field of education following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. I am your host, Zainab Chima. I'm a writer, education enthusiast, and a professor at Florida Gulf Coast University. Today, we are joined by William Minton, the founder and CEO of Canopy Ed, an ed tech company. Canopy is the platform for learning designers who want a simpler way to create, share, um, engaging self-paced courses. It is also a platform where learning designers from many different education institutions can share materials and resources. William has also worked as a classroom teacher, instructional coach, and blogger. William, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, My first question for you is, in your view, what are the biggest challenges faced by the education industry in our current post-COVID era? I would say by far the biggest issue facing education as a sector in the United States right now is teachers um, choosing to leave the profession and people who are um, not teachers are not looking at it as a profession, right? So we have, you know, heightened levels of stress and anxiety um, among teachers, satisfaction going down, people aren't feeling like they're getting what they want um, out of the profession um, and they are looking to leave and People who are hiring or recruiting teachers are not doing a great job of making it look like a correct, an attractive career choice. And so you have fewer people going into it. Um, and while some people will talk about, you know, ed tech's ability to like teach on its own, um, really, if you don't have good teachers, nothing else is possible. Um, we need amazing teachers to love teaching and want to, you know, deepen their expertise with it and, and stay in the field. And we need people who, are not teachers, really great, capable people um, to want to choose that as a profession. And that is the foundation of a you know, solid education system. There's nothing can replace that. Um, and we're seeing all those trends go in the, the wrong direction right now. And that's the thing that gives me the most pause and, and anxiety about the future of education. I really hear you on that, William. As a professor at Florida Gulf Coast University, we have a master's program And we have bright young students who love teaching and who are interested in pursuing this as a path for themselves. However, at times, I I have to confess, I struggle to give them reasons to want to continue in in education. So in your view, what what has gone wrong? What do we need to change so that we can continue to give reasons to these bright young people to continue to pick education? Yeah, so what is great about teaching? Why do people want to go into, into the profession? Um, a lot of it is around the ability to develop relationships with with young people and help them grow and mentor them. Um, a lot of it is about the creativity to be able to figure out how to explain something in a dynamic way and really bring your your content knowledge, but also your personal approach and expertise into um, how you choose to teach content, right? Or having this like teacher autonomy piece. And then there's the other part about really enjoying collaborating and working with your colleagues and coming together as a team of adults in a K-12 environment and being creative and and figuring out ways to support each other. Um, But across all of those pieces, whether it's relationships with students, autonomy over curriculum and discipline, or the ability to have flexible um, relationships with colleagues, all of that is trending in the, the opposite direction of what is rewarding about the teaching profession. Um, so I think a lot of this comes down to, 
you know, finding ways to increase teacher autonomy and providing structures for teachers to sort of like have freedom within the structure of certain expectations. Um, but that's not really how our system operates, right? Our system in times of stress um, doubles down on compliance and control and really cold guidance on not just what to do, but exactly how to do it um, and kind of dehumanizes um, teachers as just sort of like agents to implement whatever top-down directives are coming. And that is not fulfilling. It's not rewarding. Um, and when you put that also in the context of low pay, um, it just makes it not worthwhile. Um, obviously, we should pay teachers more, et cetera. Um, there are barriers to that as far as public sector budgeting and taxes and all that work. Um, so if the pay is not going to be great, then you really need the emotional fulfillment part of it to make it an attractive profession. Um, if you get rid of that, then your pay needs to be six figures, <laughs> right? So it's this, um, and you know, we need a balance somewhere you know, in, in the middle of those two things. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes down to creating structures for stronger relationships, more autonomy, and then more spaces to have flexible, creative working environments with, with the other adults in the building. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I've been talking with other teachers during this crisis, and I've been hearing about teachers first being called heroes at the beginning of the pandemic for continuing to teach their students and now being branded as really the villains um, for choosing to leave. And I find it really interesting that you said that in times of stress, people tend to double down and want to kind of enforce control. And it, it sounds to me like that's partly what's going wrong right now, that districts are not realizing that they have to open up and instead they're closing down and are trying to impose systems of control. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it does have to do with the, the makeup of the workforce to, to some extent, right? If, if you have, you know, unqualified people who have just sort of stepped into a classroom and they're you know, doing it because it's you know, filling a vacancy or something, then... Um, maybe they do need to be told what to do because they don't have professional background and expertise to you know, collaborate creatively. Um, but if we do a good job of preparing teachers uh, and supporting them, then we should also be able to trust them to have this type of autonomy. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. So where does, where does EdTech fit into this whole picture? It's an interesting time. There's so many different technologies. There's so many different platforms and services that are now available. But then there's also kind of the sense of the Tower of Babel. There's almost too much um, without a sense of how to use it or what to do with it. So as somebody who runs an ed tech company, how should we do ed tech? Yeah, it's a much more crowded space now and definitely and a much noisier space than it has been. Um, I would divide ed tech in general into a few different categories. Number one, there's the K-12 ed tech versus the, the non-K-12 ed tech, right? Some of that's more focused on higher ed and credentialing. Some of it's more focused on sort of like home and, and enrichment type ed, ed tech that you could have. Um, and for all the talk about K-12 ed tech, we're seeing the most growth as a sector as far as funding and and the number of companies are actually outside of K-12 because K-12 from a business perspective is such a tough market um, to break into as far as how the sales cycles work, especially with new products. Um, so I think it's important to be aware of that, that all ed tech is not K-12 ed tech. In fact, not even a majority of it is K-12 ed tech. Um, 
within K-12, you have these categories of ed tech that is meant as a tool for the teacher to use, um, to weave into what they're doing. And then you have the more automated, we'll handle all the teaching sort of internally to the product type ed tech, like sit a student down at a device and it'll take care of all of the teaching and learning, you know, and guidance and it'll be adaptive. And like, there's that type of ed tech experience. And then there's the ed type experience that's meant to be manipulated by the teacher and worked into sort of a larger learning experience or a larger learning journey over the course of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have, you have a different place for all of these different types of ed tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically with the type where teachers are supposed to be engaging with it and, you know, using this tool to enhance a lesson, that's where you start to get a lot of noise and a lot of the fatigue um, around training and figuring out how to use all of these different tools. Um, ed tech is best when you are able to do more with less, you know, like, like all technology, you know, you're supposed to get more better results with less effort. Right. That's what makes technology. Um, that's, that's what makes technology attractive. You're able to do more with less. Um, and I think the impression with a lot of teachers who's, Districts have purchased a bunch of EdTech products and they've sent through all these hours of training on how to use each individual one without having the ability to reflect on how to integrate them meaningfully. What you're finding is that they are doing less with more, right? They're getting, they're getting maybe even or poorer results than they felt they were getting um, with pen and paper. And it's requiring a lot more effort. Um, and that's leading to people feeling just generally jaded and, and fatigued and general and the sense of like, I'm, just, I'm we tried it. It doesn't work. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before, um, which I completely get, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's not in the nature of ed tech to lead to that result. It's in the nature of the fragmented, um, the fragmented nature of the products and the way the training and support was done that led to those results. It is possible to come into tech with a simpler, more holistic angle of how it can be used to enhance education where you really can get that more with less um, dynamic, but it's not been the experience of most educators. And full full disclosure here, William, I'm I'm definitely one of those educators who's leaned towards that, especially recently. I, I love ed tech and I love incorporating different tools and platforms in my classroom, but sometimes I felt that, okay, we need to make it simple. Let's get down to pen and paper um, once more. So what's the solution? I, I saw on your on your LinkedIn that you had a great post about UDL, Universal Design for Learning. Is that where we should be going? For ed tech. Yeah, I mean, I mean, UDL is is good teaching. I mean, people have known this for for a while, right? Like, you want to provide a variety of different ways for learners to engage with content. You want to give them multiple different ways to be able to demonstrate their learning of that content. You want to give them some level of agency of what they're learning and, and when they're learning it. Um, these are like very basic ideas, but the implementation of it is a little bit trickier and. Um, even people who will say that they believe in this and teach in this way, um, when you look at what they're actually doing, it's you know, not necessarily not necessarily fulfilling that. Um, and so, yeah, I think UDL, or Universal Design for Learning, is is important. It's a, it's a nice, simple framework to people for people to have in mind. Um, and we need technology that facilitates that type of teaching and learning in a really simple way, 
right? If you want to engage people in two or three different ways and have them demonstrate learning in two or three different ways, you shouldn't need five or six different apps mm -hmm. to do, you know, one app for each each one of these, right? You should be able to have that be in a more, you know, focused, um, consolidated type of type of tech experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, what you have in some of those purely automated um, ed tech platforms that I was talking about before, where they're, they're trying to, um, even though they'll say that, you know, the role of the teacher is still important, like really they're meant to be able to just like sit at the device and do it. You'll have some of that with those things. But when you're looking at the ed tech that are meant as tools to support the educators, it's still it's overwhelming. They're very fragmented. This has to do with how the tech sector thinks in terms of minimum viable product. Like we find one little pain point, we create a narrow solution for that pain point, then we try to get traction with it. And that leads to lots of individual products um, being nice and easy to use. But the comprehensive relationship between educators and technology becomes convoluted and overwhelming because you have all these nice individual products, but bringing them all together um, is too much. And then the learners have all the tabs open and then they're, they need to jump between things and that messes with their cognitive load and keeps them unfocused and it makes them feel fatigued more quickly with learning because they're thinking too much about the technology instead of the content that they're supposed to be engaging with. I hear you on that. And I think that um, when you were describing the, the pipeline that tech companies use to release products, I'm also thinking that from that, from the tech sector perspective, they're missing the experiences that you would need to develop that platform. From your experiences, you've done consulting in public schools, you've you've done travel blogging and blogging about educational institutions around the world. So from, from those experiences from the first decade of your career, what did you see that that you felt was a gap or that needed to be solved, a problem that needed to be solved? Um, I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, inequities in the education system, obviously, um, the way that the way that po the, the size of the factor that poverty is um, are coming from high stress communities is towards the the type of school and the type of education um, as, that students have access to. Um, and then I would say, bigger picture from a policy perspective, going back to the teacher angle and all of this. Um, school systems, and I noticed from my travel, school systems that have had you know, effective reforms um, and are doing really great are systems that invest in the recruitment, preparation, and support of educators. Um, and then allow, then set expectations and allow educators and you know, school-based leadership to have flexibility in pursuing those outcomes. Mm -hmm. In the United States, our reform tends to be more about just like setting the incentives and like believing a market system will automatically sort of like reorient to most efficiently meet those objectives. Um, and a lot of the time it's about, you know, figuring out what the quote unquote best practices and then mandating that best practice across the board. Um, that, you know, sounds like it could work. You know, it's, a, you know, we've tried it for the last 20 years or so. Um, it turns out it doesn't work. It turns out it doesn't work as well as recruiting and supporting teachers and then giving them education. Like we, it doesn't need to be a theoretical conversation at this point. Um, and then diagnosing that why it doesn't work. I think you have to look at the, the motivations for why people want to go into education. You need to, to 
stop asking the question, what do we want children to learn, which is how we design our education system. Like, what do we want them to learn? And we'll backwards plan to that from pre-K through 12. Um, stop looking at what we want students to learn and instead ask the question, like, how do students learn, right? How does learning actually happen? Um, and you ask that question first, and then you can insert the pieces of what we want them to learn. Um, but when you start with the question of how do young people learn or how do adults learn, you end up designing a fairly different system. Um, and I think that's that's a big part of it too, is making that shift from what we want them to learn to how do they learn um, is, is very important. I've been seeing a lot about that too. I know Barbara Oakley and, and other learning scientists have, have done really great work on that. And it seems intuitive that that would be integrated in how we build EdTech and how we build education programs going forward. So at this point, William, I'd love to ask about Canopy Ed. Like, What kinds of problems does it solve and how does it approach it from that process-oriented perspective that you just talked about earlier? Yeah, so with Canopy... Um, with Canopy, the learning platform, what we're trying to do is sort of provide a, um, a Canva for learning design. If you're familiar with Canva, the graphic design software, um, Canva makes quality graphic design accessible to anyone and everyone, right? It used to be that you had to go through Adobe and have like all this training on Adobe um, or hire somebody who you know, knows how to, <laughs> how to use Adobe um, to create these amazing professional quality graphic designs. Um, but now pretty much anyone can use Canva and create, you know, a solid professional looking, you know, piece of graphic design. We are doing the same thing with learning design and we simplify the learning design process so that it's accessible to almost anyone. Obviously it helps if you know a little bit about how people learn and how to set up you know, good learning experiences. Um, but we make it really simple to create dynamic, engaging learning experiences. And we do that by consolidating over 20 different um, engagement tools and, and ways for learners to demonstrate their learning into a single intuitive interface. So you don't have to go to one app for one thing, another app for another thing, another app for another thing. You can just, in Canopy, on the creator's dashboard, all these things are just one click away and you just, like, click on what you want and you can embed a YouTube video and put a question in it. You can record a screencast. You can record a video of yourself. You can do editable PDFs, insert discussion threads, um, put in Google Docs that be, can be copied and edited in the platform. Um, you can embed SCORM files if you use Articulate. You can upload assignments with a Canva integration, et cetera. There's a, over these 20 different tools and they're all accessible with a maximum of two clicks, right? One click to open it up and one click to, um, to create the, the type of learning experience that you want in it. Um, and so we bring all these tools together into one intuitive interface. And then on the learner side, everything is organized in a single tab. So we have this expand and collapse organization system so that you can access any resource or assignment from an entire course, you know, from or from an entire year. If you're in K-12, you have 180 lessons. They can all be on one tab and you can access any resource or assignment with a maximum of two clicks. Mm -hmm. um, and that helps learners stay focused. They have progress bars to know exactly what they've done and where they've done it. Um, and so we are, we're trying to realize this promise of technology that you should be able to do more with less, mm -hmm. right? You can, 
create more dynamic, engaging learning experiences. You can do it in less time and you can more easily track learner progress and give them feedback. Um, and so that's, that's what we're about. We're simplifying learning design um, and allowing people to very easily add in all these different dynamic options um, or all these dynamic tools. And the, the thing about that too is that we're, we're making it easy, right? So everything, we hear this from our users all the time that they created an even more engaging lesson than they set out to create because of how easy it was to add in these other features, right? So you might not think about putting discussion thread in there, but the discussion button is just right there. <laughs> You're looking at it. So you click it and then you type your question and all of a sudden you have a discussion thread, you know, embedded into your um, into your lesson. Or you weren't planning on saying, here, take this PDF, but you can just click right there and upload the PDF and it's embedded right with the discussion thread. And so people are making their learning experiences more engaging and more resource rich um, by using Canopy to organize all this. Um, and then further on the saving time point, you can take a whole course that you've created and if there's a teacher down the hall, you can just give them the whole thing in an instruction ready format, right? So like my first year teaching, it took me over a year to like get all the materials from the teacher across the hall, like it's a copy machine and this and that. You can do the whole thing, all the resources and assignments copied from one teacher to another in less than a minute. You just copy the whole thing and it's already in a learner ready format. And one other thing that I really, really liked about the platform, I was, I was playing around in there this morning, but you can also share resources across schools. So you could, you could share, just like in Canva, you can share templates and resources and, and lesson plans and lesson modules across different institutions, which is very cool. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you, I mean, we have some partners who are closed networks and like just sharing within their network, but you can also share with a stranger on the other side of the world if you want. Um, or you can sell your content to them as well. You can, any individual can be their own digital curriculum publisher. Um, if they want to put something together and then sell a full fledged curriculum. I, I found that feature to be really interesting from an educator's point of view. I, I was having a conversation with John Shimberry recently, who's an education consultant based in New York. And he was mentioning that um, the education boundaries are a lot more fuzzy now. So before you had these very tightly, this is early ed, this is middle school, this is, you know, K-12, this is higher ed. So those boundaries are becoming a lot more fluid. And so I think from that perspective, this, the, the mechanism of sharing lesson plans across institutions is going to be really helpful. Yeah, I, I see that as well, too. And I think that's sort of a a light um, that's coming through all of this is the increasing flexibility of what all of this looks like of what it looks like for someone to pursue um, a learning journey that is relevant and exciting to them, like on the learner perspective. And then on the other side, you have um, teachers who are more flexible in the types of roles that, that they can have, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be you know, teaching in this classroom all the time. A lot of teachers are doing, you know, virtual education for, for other ed tech programs or doing micro school work or doing, you know, being taking part in the, the rising tutoring industry. And so there's more flexibility um, as far as what teachers can do, which should light a fire under you know, the public education sector to entice them to, to stay in the classroom. But if they, um, if they can't step up and, and make that happen, then teachers will, We'll find other ways. Right, right. Where there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah. Um, 
Well, one of my last questions for you, William, is that you mentioned low-income communities and 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 the situation there. How can EdTech be made available to them or how could EdTech help them? And I ask because the lower-income communities, sometimes it's harder for them to access the, the hardware to be able to go online and, and use these amazing tools and resources. Um, there might be instabilities in their home life that prevents them from accessing these things. So how could EdTech solve some of their problems? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a part of a solution. It's not. It's definitely not a single um, single solution to any of any of this. Um, and you have you have inequities and in access issues both with devices and with internet access, especially in rural communities. Um, there was a lot of optimism about this early in, in the pandemic when districts were buying Chromebooks for every student and letting those children take those Chromebooks home. Um, that has largely stopped. They've most of those Chromebooks have been reclaimed, so students don't have that in it, device at home. Um, also, you had districts all over the country that were negotiating, you know, reduced internet um, charges for for families so they could access, and a lot of that is stopped as well, um, which is which is really unfortunate. But I think you're right that that's you need device access and you need internet access, and then here's the other really important thing. And we saw this a lot, even in those early pandemic days when there were you know, devices and internet at home, you need guidance and support from the school on how to use that stuff. You can't just send people home and like tell them they have a homework assignment and expect there to be so like new systems and norms just like rise up in, inside the home. You need the school to provide more structure and guidance and almost not so much training, but you need to involve, the school needs to proactively involve the families um, in what it means to to have these devices and how, what, even if it's just sort of like setting up a workstation, you know, in a corner, which is something people who do home visits um, talk about a lot. And it's a, it's a really powerful thing. Um, they, they appreciate the support and they like to be involved with it. Thank you, William, for your time. It was fantastic to be able to have this conversation with you. I, I think that my, my listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation as well.